Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Gray, and welcome to the Teaching Series Podcast. I am a follower of Jesus, and I find the Bible to be absolutely amazing and love helping people experience it anew. Because in my 12 plus years of teaching the Bible professionally, I've learned that most of us have never been taught how to engage the Bible the way it was intended in its original context, and we are missing out on so much. Because when the biblical text is set in its context, it becomes more relevant, compelling, and transformational than we ever imagined. My desire is for all people to experience the Bible this way and to see Jesus at the center of it all. It's to this end that I created the teaching series, which is a weekly video series that explores some aspect of the Bible in its original context and then talks through how we can apply it well to our own context. This podcast is the audio version of those highly visual video teachings, which can be found at walkingthetext.com. So if you find an episode particularly helpful, I'd encourage you to check out the video version as well. And please feel free to rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and let's jump into the episode. Friends, hello there, and welcome to the next episode in our mini-series on Psalm 23. I hope you have been enjoying this series. It's been so much fun working through it. Last week, we talked about the rod and the staff and the sling, and many of you wrote in saying, that was so cool to hear. And I'm really, really excited about this next piece that we get to tackle today because I was reminded about how interesting this next part is. And here's what I mean by that. Um, Just about a week ago at the church I attend in the greater Nashville area, Chris Tomlin was leading worship, and it's the church that he attends as well. And he was actually doing some new songs that had just been released on his newest album that had never been before been sung in a church context. And so now that it's been a week, every church in the world has probably just sung some of these songs. But he has a song on Psalm 23. And it was just a reminder of how this psalm continues to resonate with people today that were still writing songs on a continual basis about Psalm 23. But what was interesting to me is that the part we're going to look at today is not included in his song on Psalm 23. Now, it doesn't have to be. Just because you're doing a song on Psalm 23 doesn't mean you have every piece of Psalm 23 in it. You don't need every piece. They did a great job with the song. But if someone said to me, hey, a song on Psalm 23 came out and there's a piece from the psalm that's not in the song, the modern song, I would be able to tell you exactly what it is because it's what we're going to talk about today. And it doesn't surprise me that it wasn't included in this awesome song on Psalm 23 that Chris Tomlin and his crew created. So let's look at the passage. And for many of us, we're very familiar with it, but let's look at it through a different set of eyes. So it goes like this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, because for many of us, we know this so well, this doesn't feel out of place. But if you're tracking with the psalm in the shepherding context, and the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and we've got green pastures, and we've got still waters, and we've got a path, and we've got a rod, and we've got a staff, and then all of a sudden you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you go, wait a minute, you don't prepare a table for sheep. Uh, You anoint my head with oil. 
You don't anoint sheep's heads with oil. Now, some of you will know that olive oil is used for scratches on the heads of sheep and to keep parasites away, but you don't use this word anoint to talk about what you're doing in that moment. What's more is sheep don't drink from cups. So there seems to be a shift that has happened in the psalm. And I would indicate to you or submit to you that we're still within a shepherding context, but it's a different context within the larger shepherding context. And what I mean by that is that I believe David has now shifted to more of a Bedouin context, which has always been connected to the shepherding industry. And he's talking about being in someone's house or more specific with a Middle Eastern shepherding context, someone's tent. And so here is a tent from northern Israel. Um, You don't generally see this tent very often in Israel anymore. And the reason for that is that the Bedouin are more settled. They're no longer nomadic, which means always on the move, or even semi-nomadic, which means on the move part of the year. Um, They are stationed. And so they're settled. And so you see a lot of like tin shanties. But as far as just the pure goat hair, dark tent, this is very rare to see in Israel. And this was actually taken in the northern part of the country. Now in Jordan, where you have much more of the semi-nomadic shepherding lifestyle, Bedouin lifestyle, you see this more often. And so here's one out in the middle of one of um, the Jordanian deserts today. Um, Here's one in a place called Wadi Rum. When I lived in the Middle East, I had a chance to spend some time in Jordan and uh, got to sleep for several nights on a sand dune that I'm actually standing on to take this picture. Um, But a number of my classmates are walking around and that's where we got to hang out. So you've got that good dark goat hair Bedouin tent. This is probably the best photo I've ever taken of a Bedouin context. And so you have this this patriarch here and you've got, you know, his tent, the nice dark tent. And the reason why I talk about this being connected to the shepherding context is you can see even here, he has these goats right next to his tent. Now, not far from here, I took this picture of a sheepfold with sheep and goats in it. And so this is the sheepfold, and in a Bedouin situation, in a context, people live in tents like this, especially in Jordan today. But this would have been Abraham, this would have been Isaac, this would have been Jacob. Um, David probably had a bit of a village context. Bethlehem was a village where they have stationary homes, but around the area they would have tents like this. So whether you're talking about someone's home or whether you're talking about someone's tent, the rules of hospitality hospitality remain the same. And they go something like this, that if you get invited into someone's tent, it is their responsibility to protect you, that you know right away they will protect you even above their own family. And that's even true today in the Middle East. And so you know that you have protection when you go in someone's tent. Once you go into someone's tent, 
you receive provision. And so upon entering a tent, you will receive something to drink. You'll receive something to eat as far as bread that will be given to you right away. And then you'll have additional provisions later on. Um, But this is a little bit of an experience that in years past when I've taken groups to Israel that we've had in a Bedouin context here. So you can see the dark goat hair tent there. And uh, this gentleman is helping us to, to understand what Um, the Bedouin tea tastes like, which is really sweet. And you can also have the coffee, which is really bitter. Um, And then this is the the guide friend that I partner with making some bread just basically over the fire, just with flour and water. It's all that it is. And uh, so you're given drink, you're given food, you're given protection. Um, You're in this tent, so you're having a bit of reprieve. So you've got rest, uh, shelter from the heat, shelter from the cold weather. Um, You're finding this sense of joy because you have been honored by being invited into someone's tent. And it honors the host for you to be there as well. And then ultimately, after some time, you will come around the table. And in the Middle East today, it looks a lot kind of like this. It's a meal called mansif. And so this is uh, some of my classmate friends digging in. And that's literally what you do. They did not have bowls and forks and spoons in the ancient world. So what you would do is you would take a piece of bread and you would dip it into this concoction of what is today lamb and um, rice and some other stuff in there. And you just take the bread and you dip it in. And so this is a very intimate way of consuming a meal. But coming around a table is everything. That in the ancient world, in the Middle East today, one of the most honoring experiences you can have is sharing a meal with someone because in its cultural context, this is being socially accepted and honored. And so the meal is really, really important. In fact, check out what George Lamza says in his book, Shepherd of All. He says, In the East, a man's fame is spread by means of his table and lavish hospitality rather than by his possessions. Strangers and neighbors alike discuss tables where they have been guests. Such tales spread from one town to another and are handed down from one generation to another. There is considerable gossip as to how guests and strangers are entertained. And so this is a big, big deal. This is how you honor someone. This is how you lavish honor and joy and acceptance upon people as you bring them around your table. And David says of God, who is a good shepherd, he says, you prepare a table before me. And so David is going, you're not only a good shepherd, you are a good, good host. But what he says after this is very interesting because he says, you prepare a table before me, which means to prepare a table means to prepare a meal in the presence of my enemies. And you go, okay, so what's going on here? It's almost as if David is saying, I'm having this meal with God in his tent and all of my enemies are around me. Now, we don't know if David is talking, you know, about Saul when he was on the run from King Saul. We don't know if David is referring to the Philistines or the Moabites or some other kind of enemy or adversary that is causing issues for David. But he says, in the presence of my enemies, 
You are preparing a table. You are honoring me. You are accepting me. You are providing protection for me. You are providing me provision. You are letting me know that you are with me, which again connects to the rest of the psalm. Now, the idea of being in the presence of my enemies is kind of similar a bit to going through the deep, dark valley, right? But I believe David is bringing in another nuanced context for us that, uh, that will spell itself out or play itself out here in just a couple of minutes. But when he says in the presence of my enemies, we don't know exactly what he is talking about. But what's interesting is that we have a context similar to this in the New Testament with Jesus. And it is the Zacchaeus story. So we spent a number of weeks talking about Zacchaeus, and I had no idea Zacchaeus would come back up in our Psalm 23 study, but he did in that Zacchaeus invites Jesus to his house and it says that all of the people are muttering because Jesus has gone in with Zacchaeus. By implication, he has entered into Zacchaeus's house and they are going to share a meal together and the enemies, if you will, of Zacchaeus and in many ways now people who are angry at Jesus, this is all unfolding because they're sitting around a table and it's as if they're sharing this meal in the presence of people who are not happy about Jesus having a meal of social acceptability with this guy, this chief tax collector named Zacchaeus. And during our Zacchaeus story, we also talked about that the word muttering that shows up in Luke 19 is the same word that shows up in the first part of Luke 15 when Jesus is having a meal with tax collectors and sinners. He's sitting around a table with them and it says the religious leaders are grumbling because he is sharing a meal. They understand the implication of Jesus having a meal with someone and they are irate. And what's so so fascinating out of this is that Jesus goes, okay, so let me tell you your shepherding story, right? You have a hundred sheep, one gets lost. Let me talk about a woman who has 10 coins and loses one. And then let me talk about two sons who are both lost and how the story ends around a communal meal for the entire community. Jesus is not just coming up with great stories. There is a theme that he is drawing on from the Hebrew scriptures. And we see that pattern in a number of places, including here in Psalm 23. And so David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is a This is a Bedouin context, or this is just being the guest in a host, like this is the context. And then he says, let me highlight you anoint my head with oil. And this is olive oil, and oil was used in the ancient world for food. It was used for medicinal purposes. It was used as lotion. Um, It was used not only as far as consuming food, but for cooking food. It was also used for anointing kings. Now, this is not the same word anoint that is used in connection to anointing kings. So this is not what David is saying. You actually use a different Hebrew word to talk about anointing a king. In fact, this word you anoint is also translated from the Hebrew as you refresh. So David is saying, you refresh my head with oil. And one of the things a generous host would do would be provide olive oil to you to put on your forehead and to put on your face, which nourishes it and brings a brightened countenance 
to you. It's nourishing your face. And so we have a really cool tomb painting from the 5th century BC in Egypt during the time of Tutmose III, where you have all of these women have these cones of oil on their head. And the idea behind this is that this would have been scented oil and that as the heat from their head melts the cone, all throughout the experience, there would be oil that would be slowly dripping down, glistening their head and their face, and it would be a sweet aroma that would be coming out. And this is what David is talking about because in a context like this, the host would have oil in a jar like this and would use it in order for the guest to be able to anoint his head, his forehead, his face with oil to freshen the countenance and the joy that they were experiencing. And the second piece that he gives that talks about joy is when David says, and my cup overflows. So this can be talking about coffee, although probably not likely. The coffee is really bitter and you only want a little bit. Um, It's probably talking um, in some instances about the tea, but in more cases than not, we are dealing with wine here. And wine is used in the scriptures to talk about joy, to talk about happiness, to talk about celebration. And the idea is that David is having this meal with God in his tent. And he is saying, listen, you have prepared a meal for me. You are accepting me. You are providing for me. You are protecting me. You've given me oil to to anoint my face, to refresh in my face. And now as I take from my cup, It's like either God is the host, you know, is in some way refilling David's cup or you've got servants refilling his cup, but you can translate this, my cup is well filled. And so David goes, I'm drinking in this joy and you're constantly filling me up. In fact, we have a psalm in Psalm 104 verse 15 that reads this way about the psalmist thanking God for wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. I think this is what David is referring to and that this is in the context of hospitality in the ancient world. And so when David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. David is helping us in a number of ways understand that God is a generous host. And I think we can now take this one step further now that we understand this context. Because in Isaiah 42.5, we have this passage and it's so cool. And the writer says, this is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. These verbs, stretches and spreads, is used in connection to how you create a a tent like this, that the goat hair tent that you stretch and you spread in order to put together a tent like this. And so this is from inside such a tent that some of my classmates and our professor um, visited during one of um, our trips when I was living in the Middle East. And the cool thing about this is that goat hair tents that the material of the goat hair itself, the fibers, is that when it gets wet, the fibers expand and the tent becomes waterproof. But when it's dry out, there are actually holes that you see in the tent. In fact, I laid down once and took a photo up 
through the tent um, during the day. And when you see this, you go, this kind of looks like a night sky, that you can see the stars, if you will, in the dark sky. And when Isaiah says, this is what the God, what God, the, the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out. The heavens, we're talking about the sky, the stars, who spreads out the earth. That I think what Isaiah is talking about, and lots of people have made this connection as well, but it makes so much sense knowing what these two verbs are used in connection to with a Bedouin tent, is that when God stretches out the heavens and spreads out the earth, the idea is, is that God God as a generous host, that the whole world is his Bedouin tent and that he has invited us into his tent, that we are guests of God in his world, that he is stretches and spread out like a Bedouin tent. And God is saying, I am your host and I am bringing you into my world to experience it. And when Isaiah talks about he gives breath to its people and life to those who walk it, is that this is a God who is refreshing us, that this is a God who is providing for us, that this is a God who gives us what we need because this is a God who is a generous host. And I don't think Isaiah wants us to miss the significance of using these words stretches and spreads and that David doesn't want us to miss the significance that God is this generous host and he invites us into his world And he says, I love you. I accept you. I am with you. I'm providing for you. Let's share time together that even in the presence of all the things that could be going on the world that can be horrible, let's sit down and let's have a meal. And let me remind you of how much I love you, of how much I am with you, of how much I am providing for you. And as a responsible guest, we receive with gratitude. We remind ourselves over and over and over again, just how much God loves us, the many ways that he reaches out to us. And with gratitude, we remind ourselves over and over and over again, what kind of God we get to sit in a tent with. And so friends, I pray that you would find joy and honor to know that this is a God who invites us to be with him and that that would encourage us as we continue to go forth in the midst of the life that we get to live. So friends, thanks so much for joining me for another episode. Hey, we're just a few episodes away from being done. If you have questions, feel free to leave your questions. We'll love to answer your questions at the very end of this series. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And may you walk out the text well in your life. <laughs>